Have you ever imagined or thought as you were studying the book of Jude? It's one of those one-chapter books that sometimes maybe we overlook. You know, we want to jump right into Revelation because that's the, the interesting book. But have you ever wondered what Jude would say today? Here he says, I wanted to write to you concerning our common salvation. You know, they had a lot of problems in the first century. Just read the book of 1 Corinthians, a lot of issues. But there was that sense of there was a common salvation. Could we say that today? I would imagine in the first century that they knew who were Christians and who were not Christians by a common salvation. Those who came to a faith in Jesus Christ believed that Jesus was the Son of the living God and the Savior of mankind. And because of that belief, committed their life to them, repented, turned from wickedness, turned from whatever they were about before, and turned to following Jesus. Confess that faith before man, as we do read about the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. And then were immersed for the forgiveness of sins, that their past sins would be forgiven. They buried that old man of sin, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. A common salvation. But yet, as you and I look across the religious world today that profess to be followers of Jesus, there's not a whole lot that's common among us, except we believe that there was a Jesus. Some don't even believe that he's the Son of God. Some believe he was the spirit brother of Satan. Some say he was a created being, the first created being, and he created others, but he's not the one true God. Some say that he is the Son of God, he's the Savior of the world, and, but what he's given us as far as information is not a law, but a love letter. And as long as we love then we're good with God. Common salvation. Why would things have changed over 2,000 years? Is it because we've changed, therefore, then God's common salvation must change as well? Think about what Paul wrote to those in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. Some of us may be familiar with it. But he says, for, for by grace you are or have been saved, or are and remain saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so I would imagine, and I think the New Testament verifies it, that everyone that was saved in the first century, everyone that we see that went from being unsaved, 
and to being saved. It went from not being in a relationship with God to a relationship with God. We're saved by grace through faith. See, there's this aspect of grace. God's part, we say. A favor of God, an unmerited favor, some say, and in many cases, grace is unmerited, at least an aspect of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9 says that he died for us while we were still sinners. That's totally unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace on God's part. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God did it. He sent his son. For by grace you are saved through faith. If it was all grace, then we'd all be saved because God desires everyone to be saved. That's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He desires all to come to repentance. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. He's long-suffering towards that. But yet the Bible clearly teaches that not everyone's going to be saved. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Seems to me, I remember reading where Jesus said that. And Matthew recorded it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And he was talking about those that in some way were religious. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For some will say, have we not done wonderful works in your name? Haven't we done these things in your name? Paraphrasing. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So here were people that in some relation, in some way thought that they were in a relationship with God. But Jesus says, no, we never knew you. Then I come to John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep are known by me. So here are people that think they are sheep. But Jesus says, no, you're not my sheep. So grace doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven. In fact, if we just look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace, we have been and remain. That's the thought of the verb there. For by grace, we have been and remain saved through faith. You see, that's our part. That's one of those fundamental things that you and I, must have if we want to have God's favor. He's already sent Jesus. That unmerited aspect of grace has already happened, but now there's a favor aspect of grace. Same word means favor. And to have be in God's favor, you and I must have faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Hebrew writer says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Those that come to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sounds to me like faith's pretty much on the top list of, of things that are important if I want to be a part of this common salvation. It's interesting that as we go through the Old Testament, and I searched the New King James, the word faith is only used two times. And really, that's not even the word that is translated. There's no Hebrew noun for faith. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where we read, the just shall live by faith, the original word that is used there in the Hebrew language is, expresses the idea of faithfulness. And you know, the other time the word faith is used as a noun in the New King James is in Deuteronomy. Most of the time when we come across this idea of faith, it's a verb, it's faithful. And it's translated, and that's only like less than a hundred times in the whole New Old Testament. And the word that's translated faithful carries the idea of being trustworthy or reliable. So in the Old Testament, this idea of, of faith and this faithfulness wasn't as developed as it is in the New Testament. When we read in the Old Testament, we hear the words about those that fear God. We see that a lot. And the concept is reverence God. Or they praise God. And those would be used that we might in some way understand to describe that person that has faith. But when we get to the New Testament we realize or are shown very quickly how important faith is to the New Testament Christian. You see, I'm not a Christian. You're not a Christian because you were born into a family who were and maybe are Christians. I can't go back and say, well, I'm a Christian because my mom and dad were Christians, and they're Christians because their parents were Christians, and they were Christians because their parents before them were Christians. The Jews would do something along that line. I'm in a covenant relationship with God because my father and my parents were in a covenant relationship with God, and his parents before them, and their parents before them, and their parents before them, and they would go all the way back to Abraham. But it's not like that for you and I today. See, we have to know some things before we can come to a faith. Turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 6. And notice in verses 44 and 45. John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45. Here's Jesus. He's talking to the religious leaders at that time. And he says...
I better get in the right chapter. <laughs> he says in verse 44 and 45, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him in the last day. Now notice the next phrase. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What's Jesus saying? I can't come to God. I cannot approach God. I cannot be in a relationship with God unless I learn some things. I'm not going to get there because where I grew up. I'm not going to get there because who my ancestors are. I'm not going to get there because of what ethnic group I'm, I'm in. I'm going to get there because I learned something. No one can come to the Father unless he teaches them. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So the first thing that we learn about faith is there's something I need to know about it. So I'm walking down the street one day, and I approach this person on the street, and I say, Hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I do. Doesn't everybody believe in Jesus? Well, what can you tell me about him? He was born on Christmas. Is that faith? No rational person would say that that's faith, would they? But yet, there are people that understand that if I know that, then I'm okay with God. I believe in Jesus. Jesus said you're going to have to learn some things before you can come to the Father. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Beginning in verse 14. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How then shall they call on him? Verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Can I expect to be saved? Can I expect to call on Jesus for salvation if I have no idea who he is? Or what I know I learned on television or Cecil B. DeMille in one of his movies? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Sometimes we misconstrue that and say, well, you know, no one can come to Jesus unless a preacher is preaching to them. But what we forget, in the first century, the gospel was delivered orally. It wasn't in complete written form today. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of priests, peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now notice the next verse. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So here's Paul by inspiration. Jesus says, 
If you're going to come to the Father, you must be taught by the Father. Here Paul, by inspiration, he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse, uh, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, that the message he received, he received from Christ. He didn't receive it from man. So here's Paul, by inspiration, saying, if you want to have faith, the only way you're going to get it is through the word of God. Got to know some things. And i got to know some things from the word of God. So the first thing that I realize about this faith that is necessary, for by grace you are saved through faith, this faith that I must have to, find, to be in God's favor is I must know some things. Ignorance will not save me. I must know some things. Secondly, I must consider what I know and come to a conclusion concerning it. Turn over to John chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Here's Jesus again. He's giving evidence to the unbelieving Jews. He says, if I bear witness, witness of myself, my witness is not true. Remember under the law of Moses, everything had to be verified by two or three witnesses. If I bear witness of myself, why, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. John witnessed me. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. Jesus says, I'm giving you evidence. So what you've seen, what you've learned from me, I'm giving you the evidence that is necessary so you can come to a conclusion. He was the burning and shining lamp. You were willing for a time to rejoice in his light, but I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father have given me to finish, that very works I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus said, just look at what I'm doing. Remember John in John chapter 3? He said, no man can do the things that you do. Or, or Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When he came to Jesus, no man could do the things that you do except he be from God. Jesus said, John, the baptizer witnessed me. The works that I do give witness of me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in me because he, whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. These are the things which testify of me. Jesus says, the Father testifies of me. This is my beloved Son. God said, when Jesus was immersed, in whom I am well pleased. And then he tells those unbelieving Jews, go back and look at the scriptures, because they give testimony of me. In other words, Jesus was saying, here's some information, and look at this information. Is it sufficient enough to come to the conclusion 
that I am the Son of God. John the Immerser testified of me. The works that I do testify of me. The Father in heaven testifies of me. And the scriptures themselves testify of me. It's interesting at the end of John, in John chapter 20, John says, he says, And truly many other things Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing that you might have life in his name. In other words, John was saying, as he was giving this information directed by the Holy Spirit, that there was sufficient evidence, sufficient knowledge, sufficient information given in his account of the gospel of Jesus Christ to convince the rational and reasonable person that Jesus is the son of the living God. God expects me to use my brain. He expects you to use it as well. And he does not allow us to be ambivalent to the information that he has given us. Turn back to Revelation chapter uh, 3 and notice in verse 14 through 16. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know what Jesus was saying there? No one can be ambivalent towards Jesus. No one can be apathetic before towards Jesus. Either you accept him or you reject him. There's no middle ground here. Either you're with him, you're hot, or you're cold. Either you abide in him and he abides in you, or he vomits you out of his mouth. See, faith requires information. Faith requires looking at that information and making a conclusion on that information. There's a lot of people that have done that. They look at what the text says that, about who Jesus is, about what he did, what he was, what he is, and they looked at the evidence that were given in the Gospels, and they've come to the conclusion, yes, Jesus is the Son of the living God. And I believe that he is the son of the living God. And I believe his blood washes away my sins. And I believe that all those things that are said about Jesus. But they don't take faith. To its biblical conclusion. Turn over to James chapter 2. And notice beginning in verse 14. 
James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? One translation says deeds. And I think in this context, because of the negative aspects that the idea works have been given by the religious world, that if we look at this idea as deeds, we can see the importance of what or how God defines true biblical faith. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have deeds? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, does that, what does it profit? Thus also faith, if it does not have deeds, is dead. But someone says, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe, and one translation says, and they shudder. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without deeds is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by his deeds when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Did you, do you see that faith was working together with his deeds, and by deeds faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was accounted for, to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So you see then that a man is justified by deeds and not by faith alone. The only time in the Bible where that term faith and alone are together. Likewise. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by deeds when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead also. So I can have some information. I can process that information and come to the right conclusion. But if I don't manifest that conclusion in my life, then I don't have biblical faith. And James says, my faith is dead. My faith is profitless. My faith is the same kind of faith that the demons have. But they shudder. For by grace, we have been and remain saved through faith. So the question this morning as we close, do you have biblical faith? I'm not talking about just you know a few things about Jesus. 
just what you've picked up by sitting in a pew for a number of years or whatever, but you know some things about Jesus. Have you thought about what you know about Jesus? And have you been, have enough information to make a rational conclusion about Jesus? And if you've come to a conclusion about Jesus, are you with him or against him? Because you can't remain ambivalent. And if you're with him, have you demonstrated your conclusion about Jesus with your deeds? For by grace you have been and remain saved through faith. Grace is God's part. Forrest is going to tell, teach us about some things about that this afternoon. Faith is our part. And without faith, without biblical faith, I can't approach God because I'm not sure who he is. And why would I expect him to reward me when I don't manifest this belief I have in my life. It's interesting that as we look through the scriptures, those who came to a faith, a belief, a confidence based upon the evidence that with information and evidence that was given to them, that those who came to a faith initially demonstrated that faith through repentance, confession, and being immersed for the remission of your sins. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. And notice quickly. Acts chapter 2, Peter tells them, obviously the Holy Spirit came on the apostles in a miraculous form. Peter takes their mind back to a prophecy of Joel, that this is what Joel had prophesied so many years ago. Uh, he ends that prophecy with what Joel said, those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter lays forth some information and the argument that Jesus, whom they crucified, is both Lord and Christ. He is the Lord that they need to call upon. Notice in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. Their conscience bothered them. And said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice now. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. They already come to the conclusion that Jesus was the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. Peter says, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those, notice verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly 
in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They got some information. They considered that information, came to a conclusion on that information, which enabled them to have faith, and they acted upon that faith immediately. Because biblical faith is a faith that is manifested. Faith without deeds is dead. Maybe you need to manifest your faith this morning. Maybe you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you really believe it. And maybe you realize if you studied the Bible or you've sat in class or your parents in talking to you have shown you the, the information there to, that you can come to a net rational conclusion and a conclusion based upon the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now it's up to you. Am I hot or cold? but I can't remain ambivalent. We urge you this morning, be hot, be zealous for the Lord. If you truly believe Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to give your life to him and confess your faith before men, the water's ready so that you might be immersed in Christ knowing that your sins have been washed away. True biblical faith. And if you are a New Testament Christian, and maybe you've got information, and maybe you're convinced that Jesus is the Christ, but maybe your life doesn't manifest that. How does that make you different than the Laodiceans? Our faith has to have deeds associated with it we can help in any way, won't you come as we sing this song of an encouragement?